Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm really, really excited to be here tonight with you. Really excited just to kind of spend this time together just in the quiet, you know? Just before everything starts going nuts, just to be here, just to be still. Uh, I know at my home it's going to go nuts. I got eight kids, so there's no doubt about that. They're sleeping now, and I'm truly grateful for that. Um, Tomorrow, uh, we will all awake to an epic day, without a doubt. It it really is quite an extraordinary day. Uh, Probably in terms of the year's calendar, in our context, and our culture, and and perhaps even uh, in a global sense, uh, minus a few uh, areas of the world, uh, tomorrow when people come awake, the greatest party on planet Earth will emerge. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's, it's sort of like in, in our country, uh, millions and millions of birthday parties simultaneously happening on one morning. That, that's what tomorrow is going to be like. That, that actually men, women, and children will awake tomorrow morning uh, to a day full of celebration and food and family and love and gifts and trees and decorations and cupcakes and cakes. I mean, it, it really is that one day that we, that we take for one person and sort of celebrate their birthday and then another day for another one, we're doing millions of them tomorrow, all at exactly the same moment. And it does sort of get you uh, wondering what kind of an event, what kind of a reality, what kind of a story would warrant that kind of party? would warrant the kind of celebration that an entire nation, in fact, entire nations, even unaware of the deeper realities, would would party on the same exact day. And that's a big deal. Now, now obviously, the the obvious answer for all of us here, because I expect you're here to prepare your hearts to celebrate Christ, would be, well, well, the birth of Jesus, of course. And of course, of course the birth of Jesus, that, that's what we celebrate tomorrow. But, but why, the, why is the birth of Jesus such an unbelievable thing, such an unimaginable thing, uh, such an extraordinary thing that that kind of cultural uh, change and move would take place on a global level? T- tonight, I'd like to invite you with me to just journey quietly through the story that reveals to us why this is such a big deal. Just to walk with me through it. You know, earlier this evening at the, at the other um, Christmas Eve services we had, I was jumping around the stage and going nuts and screaming and shouting the gospel and I, I loved it, but I just felt tonight we just needed to kind of sit and just talk a little. Talk a little about this story. Talk a little about the wonder and depth that is in this story. Because I can't seem to get my mind off what lingers here. And I'll tell you, there's something that lingers here that if you can capture it, if you can see it for a second, it will change everything for you. It really will. Even if you know Jesus, it will begin to change everything for you. So, so let's journey into the story. But, but before we start reading the typical story that starts in the book of Luke with an angel named Gabriel showing up and speaking to one of us human beings, the story really uh, needs a context much bigger than that because that's not really where the celebration for tomorrow begins. It's what we celebrate, at least as a beginning point, but the why we celebrate it goes much further back. 
See, what we celebrate is the birth of Jesus, and so the story of Gabriel meeting Mary is where our story begins for the particular celebration tomorrow. But why we celebrate that goes much deeper and much further back. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. See, in the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, we are told through the revealed word of God that we human beings were created into an incredible scenario. God had created out of his uh, might and majesty and creativity and power, he had created this, this wondrous uh, uh, sort of landscape of beauty. He had, he had created on the canvas of nothing uh, things like stars and planets and universe and, 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 and our planet and plants and, and, and animals and colors and, 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 and vibrance and movement and, and all this stuff. He's like, this is unbelievable. And if you could have watched it happen, it, it would have blown your mind more than any artist ever has as you've watched them create. And then into that particular environment or, or that canvas, it, it says that he created us, our human story, our beginnings, he created us, but uniquely into the story, he says, what I'm gonna do with you is I am going to make you in a likeness of me unlike the likeness of rest, the rest of creation. See, all of creation shouts my invisible qualities, my powers, my wonder, my creativity. It, it obviously displays that, but, but I'm gonna make you to so uniquely image me because you are gonna be made in a likeness of mine that's just different than everything else. And so what, what happens is I've created the symphony where creation shouts at us, look at God. Look at him, man. And then we shout back at creation and back at each other, look at God. Look at how wondrous he is. And that was going to be our story. That every day we would experience the borderless and boundaryless and, and, and relational unrestricted realities of experiencing the full freedom of God. The full relational capacity that the creator has to give to his creation, us. And that we would image that freedom and that life and that light that would be born from our creator into us. We would image that out, reflect that out to all that is around us and all would know him by the image of us. That's our story. And we were convinced early on in our human story by God's enemy that if in fact we would choose to become divine ourselves, to pursue our own divinity and to image our own story, not to image God's, but to image ours, to, to give our story a shot, not to live under the story he's writing for us, but to dictate our own destiny, to know our own fate, to write our own story, that that would be more predictable and that would be a better story for us than living under his. He convinced us this way. He said, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, it's not that you will die as he said you would, it's actually that he's trying to keep you from knowing what he knows, from being like him. But if you eat of it, you'll be like him and you won't need him anymore. You will have yourself. And what better story than being your own God and setting your own destiny and imaging yourself? And we bought into that story. And what entered into us was not divinity, not power, not the ability to set destinies and to shape our wonderful stories. What entered into us was a word called death. Death, 
Not a word we were familiar with. God had said it to us, but we weren't familiar with it. But when it came, it came with a vengeance, man. It brought with it shame and fear. It brought with it guilt. It brought with it isolation. It brought with it sin and corruption. And we are told early on in our story that it's not just that we became victims of death, that we were like enslaved by it, we still innocent but under its, its spell. No, no, no. It actually says that it changed us. It corrupted our essence and we became like death. We became like darkness. We became like bondage. So in essence, we are described in scripture as death and destruction and bondage. And the, the culmination of that is that we are described in the revealed scriptures as the enemies of God. We became the enemies of the creator himself who had created us as his friends. And that is where our story finds itself. Uh, Paul describes this in a summary of sorts in the book of Ephesians. My favorite summary, in fact, of our human journey is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And he begins it this way. He says, and you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's our description before the Christmas story enters. This is before the Christmas story, okay? So understand where we found ourselves. Before we enter into Gabriel, meaning Mary, understand where we found ourselves. Hopeless, lost, dead, corrupted, haters of God, haters of life, haters of light, passionate for the things that are dark, Passionate for the things that are dead. Producers of death. That's not a pretty picture. And the only hope we had, the only hope we had, and we didn't even know we had it, it just lingered there, is that the creator and sustainer who initially made us for beauty and for light and for life and for freedom promised early on in our story that he would not abandon us but that he was going to produce a rescue plan that would ultimately come into our world and would buy back our story from the dead, would actually undo what was done and make us the enemies of God, the dead, make us friends of God and alive again. And we knew that that was a possibility, but it had not occurred prior to the Christmas story. So we waited with anticipation. And just as the Jewish people waited to see the fulfillment of the promise, we in our own life context, before we knew Christ, before we knew the Christmas story, before we knew he came, before we knew he died, before we knew he rose again, before we had heard the gospel and someone had shared it with us, we lived, as Solomon said, chasing the wind, right? I mean. We were so blind that we didn't even know we were dead. 
That's how crazy it is, right? So what we did is the implications of our deadness was that we chased after a life to try to fulfill. So we try to be divine. We, we keep trying to be our own boss. I mean, let's just face it, right? I mean, who wants to be under anybody's rule? Every kid fights for their own rights. Then every teenager fights harder. And then every young adult fights to get a job where they're independently wealthy so nobody can tell them what to do and have a business by 35 that they can retire at 40 and play golf and pick up shells. The rest of us try to retire at 65 to do exactly the same thing. And we hope that our children respect us enough to treat us well before we die. And that's what we did. We chased after the wind, trying to make love and uh, uh, resources, relationships, circumstances play out in such a way to give us a good life. And when they didn't, we were completely blown away. And when they did, we tried to hold onto them for dear life. And that's where we were before the story. But Paul writes in the same passage, he writes this, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now watch, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were still dead in our trespasses. In other words, even when we were still enemies of God, even when we still hated him, even when we still chased after the passions of this world, even when we were producers of death, even then he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? So that in the coming ages, that is into eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that is the Christmas story. See, that's the Christmas story. That's where we step into the story of Gabriel. Because just like the Jewish people of old, waiting, uh, sort of hoping against hope that maybe the promises were true of a rescue plan, when Gabriel entered into the picture, it should have been like holding our breath. And when we first heard those first words, inside of your womb will be conceived a boy whose name will be called Jesus, and he will be known as something. When we hear that something, just as the Jewish people of old, we should go, whoa, this sounds like the promise being made real. I mean, let me not tell, listen, listen. Luke chapter one, listen to this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. (laughs) But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. What was the angel saying? I mean, greetings, O favored one. I mean, did I do something wrong? Did I do something right? What do you need from me? What do you want? Why are you here? You're glowing. That's weird. I mean, all these things were going through her head, right? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, and, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now up to now, it's still pretty ordinary, right? I mean, who hasn't seen conception? I have. I've had four of them conceived in my wife's womb, and they were born. The other four we adopted, they were conceived as well. So conception's a normal part of life. Nothing unusual. Name Jesus, that's pretty cool. Jesus is a cool name, but nothing really unusual until the next sentence. Here's the next sentence. We ought to catch our breath on this one. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, if you know your Old Testament, you know that's a prophecy that spoke of the promise, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ that would arrive and fulfill the throne of David and ultimately reign forever in rescue of us. Now, Caesar Augustus had said to everybody that they need to come to their home, uh, the town of their lineage, to be registered because he wanted more taxes. And Joseph, being of the line of David, had to travel down to Bethlehem with Mary over the next few months. The traveling down there was probably about a 30 to 40 day travel, so it was a long way for a pregnant woman on a donkey. And they traveled down to Bethlehem, and in chapter two of the book of Luke, it says, um, uh, uh, Joseph was traveling to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And we stare into a manger that very likely, very possibly at this point in the story, holds our rescue. You understand? In that manger lay our rescue. Our redemption lay in that manger. Everything we'd hoped for as a human being, everything we hoped could be possible for our restoration lay in that manger. That night some shepherds were in the field and a bunch of angels showed up to them and as though to confirm to us what was in the manger, they said this, uh, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There it is, man. I mean, if we're reading the story, we get there, we should be going, are you kidding me? I mean, I think this is it. I think this is it. This is where it's all happening. Everything our soul desires is laying in a manger in Bethlehem. Turns out Simeon, just a, f uh, a few days later, receives Jesus in a blessing, and Simeon had been told by God that he would not die before he sees the Christ, and Jesus comes to him, and it says this, Simeon lifted Jesus up in his hands uh, under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at what was said of him. And we start entering into the story where the marveling begins. Oh, this is the Christ. This is the one who's come to rescue us. 
This is no ordinary birth. And never before and never after will a birth like this take place again. Because the divine creator and sustainer just became flesh and blood. He became flesh and blood. Some guys from far away, from east of Bethlehem, who had been watching the stars and understood probably back from Daniel's time because Daniel had been in Babylon and had done a bunch of stuff there, probably followed Daniel's, Daniel's teachings and prophecies and knew that something was coming and they saw a star and they followed it in the book of Matthew. We bump into their story and listen to what it says. It says this, these guys came down from the east following the star and in verse 11 it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And that's sort of where the Christmas story ends. The Christmas story ends with the wise men falling down on their faces and worshiping this child who they realized was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the rescuer, the savior. He was indeed the one. So why do we party tomorrow? Why do we party? Why do we get up and open a bunch of gifts and grab a bunch of stuff and eat a bunch of food and light cakes and candles and sing wonderful songs and love each other for a few hours and treat each other well? Why? Why? Because in a manger in Bethlehem lay our rescue. He came for us. He came for us. In Bethlehem, in a manger, lay our freedom. In that same manger, lay our restoration. In that manger, lay our story, the only hope we have. And it is not a story that is about other people back in the past, it is our story. It is our story. It is my story. It is your story. It is the story of the rescue of the human soul and the restoration of the human purpose. And in Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes this, after he talks about the grace by which we have been saved, he says, you are now God's workmanship, made for good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Do you hear it? How purpose is restored. We live as light and life and freedom once again. The privilege to carry that light and life and freedom into the world for others to know what life is, and that's why we party. We party because rescue came for us. That's why we party. So as you enter into Christmas with me, everybody just for a second, turn around, look up at the clock over there on that big screen. As you enter into Christmas with me here in this place, let us enter into Christmas together at midnight here, and let us enter into Christmas recognizing that we celebrate today a holy night, a holy, 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 holy night where rescue was born onto planet Earth, where rescue lived and rescue died and rescue rose again so that we would have life and freedom. And that is worth celebrating. And that is worth celebrating. And that is why we carry the light of God onward. That is why. 
So tonight, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have the worship team come on back up here in a second, and we are going to celebrate the emergence of Christmas with the most appropriate song I think we can celebrate with, which is Silent Night, Holy Night. Because what we celebrate tomorrow is the light of God coming into our darkness and making us light again so that we carry his light into darkness and bring light to death and darkness, life to death and darkness. And so I'm going to take a light and one of our other pastors here is gonna take a light and we are going to take the light from the Christ candle representing him coming into the world and we're gonna bring that and we're gonna head down these two aisles right over here, one of us each, and we're gonna light your candles as we sing and celebrate Oh, holy night, holy night. And the light of Christ is gonna move through this place. And I pray that that visual will linger with you all day long as you party on and every present you open and every cake you eat and every wonderful hug you get, you would think to yourself these thoughts. The only reason we celebrate today is because rescue came. The only reason everyone's parting around the nation, whether they know it or not, is because rescue came for us and we're gonna be okay because Jesus came. And that is an event, a reality worth celebrating globally, isn't it? Isn't it? And it's, a, it's an event worth partying hard tomorrow for. So I'm gonna party hard and I hope you are. And we are going to enjoy Jesus and all that he did as we pass the light of life around. Would you rise with us? And as we begin the song, we will bring to you the light.